Welcome to the Addiction Connection. We like to believe the opposite of addiction is actually connection, and we are going to attempt to educate you and possibly even entertain you while we navigate all topics addiction. Hi, I'm Dr. Kirk Devine. And I'm Dr. Heather Bell, and we both provide primary care and addiction services. It's our goal to help you learn more about the disease of addiction and its treatments. Episode 46. 46. Mm-hmm. That's like the average so, of our ages. Actually, no, it's not yet. <laughs> I have no idea. So what this is about today, we're actually uh, have been doing a lot of research on all of the different drugs that are misused that are not really opioids or benzos, uh, things that you may know that have some abuse potential, but especially in correctional systems and uh, I think even in just communities are, right. are used and misused. Well, you know, we did dextromethorphan a while back, the yeah. whole robo-tripping. So that was kind of, I guess, the first substance. But now we're looking more at, I think, more prescription-level medications that, I mean, even People, a lot of these on this list, I'm like, oh, that's a safe drug. And then you research them and yeah. you kind of hear these new things. So this is episode one of probably 10 drugs we're going to do over the next few months. Right. So this will be fun. Six months. Yes. I'm really excited about these. I love it. So we're going to start with probably the most thought of most, in our heads anyway, well-known, the Gabbies, gabapentin. Gabby. People, and I actually just had a patient say to me, and she was in withdrawal, and she said she took a couple Gabbies. Mm -hmm. And so it's real common that people use these like that. My, My, something's clicking, but... My my first, whenever I hear gabapentin being abused or misused, I always think of your patient that made the comment that it's, it's, it's like alcohol but without the hangover. That's always the yep. first thought I have. Yep, took thirty five of them. So anyway, mechanism of action. What do you think? Well, the exact is unknown, but you know, gabapentin, as we all know, kind of has that you know inhibitory negative type. Um, reaction or effect and the interesting part is it does act on the you know neurotransmitters and crosses the blood-brain barrier and it's like I just mentioned similar to GABA but it doesn't (laughs) bind to the actual GABA receptors so that's interesting to me is it you know it's obviously called gabapentin acts like GABA but doesn't actually bind the receptors and amazingly uh, it's lipophilic whips right through that brain barrier, right? So mm-hmm. I don't think you talked about how it releases, it kind of inhibits. No, I didn't. Yeah, it inhibits the release of excitatory neurotransmitters, mostly in that presynaptic area, which, you know, we all remember from medical school or not. So basically it doesn't let the excitatory things out, which is why it's more of thought of as a, I was thinking gabapentin is more of a downer. Yeah. And of course, there's no evidence that it really attacks any of the other receptors like the serotonin and mm-hmm. all those other things. But it's an interesting drug because it's got a half-life that's, you know, five to seven hours. It, I think the amazing part of it, it's the perfect drug. It's it bioavailable. is the perfect drug. Bioavailability, like 90%. You can eat like a big a or a big meal. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> a big meal. Big and, meal. And... uh Man, it doesn't really slow down how well it's absorbed. No, and you know, it hits steady state. I think this is again another perfect thing. Within twenty four to forty eight hours, you're at where you're gonna be at. It doesn't take, you know, yeah. SSRIs up to six weeks. It's there. Not a lot of weird metabolites whips through your kidneys and gets beat out. 
Right. Doesn't really have interactions with other meds, other foods, nothing. And overall, very, very, very few side effects. I mean, some bad ones, but for the most part, no side effects. Yeah. I mean, I think some people, obviously, and as you said, it's kind of a more of a downer. And uh, people will occasionally get de- more depressive symptoms from it and some behavior changes. But I think the the big concern that's talked about a lot sometimes is the increase in suicidal thoughts, which occasionally can happen. Mm-hmm. So. So where did gabapentin come from? So we're going to kind of touch base on a little bit of the history, why it's supposed to be used, how it's used, even though it's not approved for that. And then we'll get to kind of the the misuse and abuse part. So first discovered in the 70s in Japan. Yeah, it was probably in Japanese food. No, it wasn't. But uh, it was actually started being used as a muscle relaxer and kind of an antispasmodic and kind of and actually got its, uh, you know, big move into being used as really an anti-convulsive and that's where its FDA approval actually landed was partial seizures. Right. And you know, it was really used primarily as, uh, you know, like we mentioned as an anti-convulsive, but it was really an adjunct. And the cool thing or the reason it was a, it was super beneficial as an adjunct anti-convulsant is because it didn't have any reactions with the other anti-convulsants, the valproic acid, lithium, carbamazepine. So the, the common anti-convulsants this could help their purpose without causing drug interaction. So, yeah. But I think that where did it actually come out on the other side with the FDA? Well, I got FDA approval for post-herpetic neuralgia, which I think is probably the most common reason I've kind of bumped into it mm-hmm. until the last couple of years. Uh, and then, of course, that adjunct therapy, uh, mostly with partial seizures and, and such. And you can use it down to, you know, the pediatric patients all the way down to the 3 to 12-year-olds even. So, mm-hmm. you know, again, safe, perfect medication, I guess, you know, if you're if you're having little kiddos. And then um, also FDA approved for the moderate to severe restless leg syndrome. Um, so really there's three FDA approved things, post-traumatic neuralgia, severe, moderate, restless leg, and then adjunctive or primary therapy for partial seizures. So let's be completely transparent, Dr. Bell. Yes. There are some off-label uses. There are, and we are definitely not... Suggesting. We are not suggesting using these because they are off-label. But these, some of these, you'll notice, these are the things, even in med school or residency especially, like this is just what you think gabapentin does, and even though it's not approved to do it, that's yeah. just where you use it. So I think most often with the, you know, the diabetic neuropathies, that's probably where I've seen it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it kind of came to its own with the... Some of the people that were having fibromyalgia issues and uh, even postmenopausal hot flashes, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, so we're going to talk a little about the essential tremors and the movement disorders and stuff. I think. Is, yeah. Can we talk about so that a little you bit know, later? ALS, which of course is, I think, probably one of the most horrible diagnoses in medicine, but. There, there have been studies that shown at, at a higher milligram dosing, it can slow the decline of muscle strength and in the treatment group. So maybe a little benefit in ALS. Yeah. You know, and there actually has been a number of studies done with just essential tremor. Uh, and of course, most often, I think in the past, you see the beta blockers used for that and different things. But uh, some studies have shown that it helps. Other studies have shown that it doesn't. It's typically fairly big uh, doses. Uh, that have shown help. And a lot of these studies that were done that were positive were actually patient-reported symptoms as opposed to uh, one of the, some of the other studies. So. Right. And then Parkinson uh, disease 
there have been in a double-blinded study, so a little bit more rigorous of a study, that 1,200 milligrams only superior to placebo in reducing rigidity and bradykinesia. So some benefit in, you know, the big ones, ALS, Parkinson, um, not necessarily in the things that are more common. Yeah, and interesting if you look at some of the things with uh, dosing. One of the things that we came across early on was that in a lot of the neuropathic problems and different issues that it was used for, you actually get more bang for your buck at the lower doses. And just like many drugs, as you increase the dose, you get less less back. You get less benefit so, and more potential for badness, higher harm. Badness? Is badness. that a word? That's a word. Total. Mm. It's like in the, what's that, the weird dictionary. But no, Yeah. Now, one of the other things that we've seen a lot in our clinic, and I think the mental health people tend to use a fair amount of gabapentin for anxiety, some, you know, resistant depression, but mostly the anxiety. There was a meta-analysis of seven different trials, and it did show greater efficacy than placebo in generalized anxiety disorder. However, there's not a lot of studies to really look at that depression as a depression monotherapy, which to me makes sense, considering this is, again, more of that sombering medication, the downer in a way, which with the side effect of causing depression, you wouldn't think it would work for depression, but... Occasionally. Yeah, occasionally, but mostly that anxiety side. You know, I've never seen it used for irritable bowel. Have you? Well, you know, Not irritable it. bowel, though, you know, there's all, you know, there's always that controversy of what causes irritable bowel if it's an anxiety and type related. So if you're lowering the anxiety, it might help the irritable bowel. So it's more of a... Yeah, let's not go down that rabbit hole. (laughs) Gross. All right. So very pertinent to addiction world, um, alcohol withdrawal. And this is is where I think it's starting to really have a name in a way, you know, 2014. It's starting to get traction. That sounds good. You're right. You're right. That's that's definitely a better way of saying it. Yeah, there are some hospitals in our area that use gabapentin as opposed to benzos and other things. Well. Although there's some that use phenobarb. For alcohol withdrawal. Right. That's more severe, but... We're on a tangent right now, everybody. Sorry. <laughs> so, it's, it, it's... I'm not. <laughs> but anyway, it's safe. It's uh, readily available. And, and of course, uh, in, it's been shown to be pretty helpful in kind of the abstinence maintenance phase of alcohol use. And uh, I, I have a couple people that are on, you know, both naltrexone and gabapentin uh, and do really well with alcohol use. And... Um, but there have been some trials. In 2014, there was a trial um, that would showed a significant uh, improvement. Well, and I like kind of back to your weird tangent, this whole versus lorazepam, which, you know, we typically think of, you know, the CWA protocols inpatient, but better for outpatient management of alcohol withdrawal. Uh, gabapentin has shown slightly better for that, as well as it being superior to benzos in the outpatient, just overall management in moderate alcohol use disorder. Yeah. So yeah. So a lot of other things it's uh, been used in. I don't know if we want to list those or just pretend we, they're, they're not on our list. You know, they're, they're more rare. You know, headache things. I think interstitial cystitis is always something that no one really knows how to treat, so I might as well throw some gabapentin in it, see what happens. But yeah, and yes. I've not seen it used for. I, I've seen it used for insomnia. Uh, occasionally, people will use it in the evening. And sometimes it's one of those twofers where somebody has a problem that they need gabapentin for, and they can't sleep, and you use give that. it to them in the evening. You know, yeah. I think more elderly with the gabapentin and sleep. Yeah, and I mean, again, safe medication unless they have kidney issues. So and you get no respiratory depression. <laughs> That's a bonus. Clearly, That's a, a bonus. bonus. So, you know, 
Ironically, there have been things that have worked better than gabapentin for some of the things we just talked about. So capsaicin cream works better than gabapentin in some studies. Yeah, Cymbalta. You know, I've I've struggled with Cymbalta, and I think that... Should we use duloxetine? Duloxetine, sorry. Duloxetine, you know, is, has been shown in sometimes to be a better alternative uh, than gabapentin in a number of things, uh, especially diabetic peripheral neuropath- neuropathic pain. But... I got to say, I've, I've done that a few times and just, well, more than a few. And a lot of times people just don't feel like they get much benefit. So it's, I, I think, uh, you know, the studies show it's probably as good or better. Right. So. So now on to why you all wanted to listen to this in the first place. The or, mis- well, if they did, we <laughs> don't know that. Well, we're just going to pretend. So miss you. So general data and interesting facts and figures about amu- abuse of gabapentin. So in the general population and this is out of the journal of addiction about 1.1% of the general population misuses or abuses gabapentin yeah and actually if you look at patients who've had a history of substance abuse it's almost a, almost a fifth um well it's more than a fifth more than a fifth of patients uh, have used it and abused it um but but actually if you look at the american journal of psychiatry they did a little study and in appalachia 15% of patients with oud had actually used gabapentin Right. Uh, and misused it. And so then this, you know, about a fifth of patients of all gabapentin that's prescribed is misused. So it's it's not a, it's a, it's a good medication, perfect med, but it's it's definitely abused a lot. Um, and if you look at the Poison Control Center from 2012 to 2016, so in a four-year span, there were 75,000 calls for specific gabapentin toxicity. Man, I, I bet they had that memorized, like, oh, Gabby? Here we go. Here we go. So this, the next data, you know, we've been talking about this 22%, all this this stuff. But if you're looking at correctional facilities, which is kind of our jam at the moment, um, less than 20% of the Gabby that's in in the correctional facility is actually taken by the people it was actually given to. Okay, let's restate that. So 80% of it's in somebody else's hands. Yeah, yeah. That's way better. <laughs> so 80% of the people taking gabapentin weren't prescribed it in the jail, in the correctional facility. Somebody else gave it to them. Correct. So they cheeked it. We uh, we will have to have a whole podcast on the yeah. ways people cheek and can get to that point because we had a 10-minute conversation about that last week. Very interesting because I don't understand it. But anyway, so why do people abuse it? Mystical experience. Wow. It's mystical. It's like the Beatles' mystical tour. So, yeah, the British Journal of General Practice actually kind of did a study on that, what people feel when they misuse or use gabapentin. Often, they are just mellowed out, like they're smoking weed. Um, Some people actually get a euphoria, and and they're more social. They they have less anxiety around crowds. Kind of like alcohol. In a a way, it seems like alcohol, which is maybe why it helps in alcohol withdrawal. Mm -hmm. Promotes the relaxation, which, again, makes sense based on some of the other things we talked about. But it also enhances the euphoria and the effects of opioids. Yeah. But. Occasionally, people have a bad trip. Yep. And and they. They get like zombie high. I'm not sure what that means. I mean, I've seen an occasional zombie on TV, but I, (laughs) I really don't know what a zombie high would be. There's like a show that my kids watch on Netflix that's like Zombie High. <laughs> so it's like, and it's a dancing like a musical. So it's very different. But anyway. What? 
Okay. Anyway, so in 2019, there was a journal of forensic science did this study about they had 104 deaths of people who had died with gabapentin on board. Of the 104 people who had gabapentin on board, 91.4 of them actually had a prescription for it. So, so they were misusing it. They were misusing it. It was on board though, but. Of those people, kind of going back to the the percentage of people who misuse it, who have a history of substance use, 84% of these people had a history of some type of use disorder. That's like 8 out of 10. Isn't that crazy? That's like 80% of 8 out of 10. I'm just, had some math. So <laughs> how do they mess with this stuff? Well, a lot of people crush it. Um, I've And I've had patients that, I've had a lot of patients who just take it orally. Uh, 30, 35 at a time, 600 milligrams. They did say that if you take it like a normal pill, it works. But if you chew them... Remember, it's 90% bioavailable. Right. But then it said if you chew them, it can actually make it more effective. So maybe it gets up to like 99%. Yeah. I don't know. They this said guy, you get more if you chew yeah, it. This guy actually told me that, uh, well, you realize that you can't overdose on gabapentin. I don't think that's totally true. But he no. took a ton and did that frequently. He would buy them on the streets. Um, it can it can be injected. Uh, I've I've never actually talked to a person Mm-mm. that's injected it. Nope. Um, and then you can snort it, which hmm. most people just swallow it. Most yeah. people just I mean that has to do with the bioavailability. Well, and a lot of the stuff we looked at, uh, I hate to tell people, but we occasionally look at Reddit, uh, and some people said when they snorted Arrowhead. it, or an Arrowhead, both. Um, they said that when they snorted it was a horrible, horrible. taste and really uncomfortable. Uh, but of course, I don't know that that's everybody's experience. But how do you reverse this, Doctor Bell? Let's say you got somebody and they have taken way too much. You have to have dialysis. Ugh. Can you imagine? Man, <laughs> that's no good if you're in in northern Minnesota, the middle of nowhere. So I want to go back. I want to go back to the whole. You've never heard of anybody injecting it. So I wonder if this goes back to that whole. So in 2011, it was one of the most commonly used things to cut methadone. So methadone that was being diverted, clearly, um, they would cut it with gabapentin, obviously, so then they'd have more product. And so was that, you know, people were injecting it because they were injecting their methadone or what? But maybe that's part well, of it. And I think, too, you know, we have to understand that it's so common if you look at, you know, the number of prescriptions. Even back in 2012, there were more gabapentin prescriptions than lisinopril. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, lisinopril is like the biggest hypertension drug, and there's more gabapentin floating around. So I can top that, especially if you're in Ohio. I was thinking to top your gabapentin more than lisinopril in December of 2016. Gabapentin was the number one prescribed drug in the state of Ohio. That is incredible, and I think a lot of times that the the reason it's prescribed so much and misused so much is, you know, it can be used for so many things and. On the street, Gabby's used to kind of help with alcohol withdrawal, opioid withdrawal, and cocaine withdrawal. And I've seen the first two. I've not seen anybody really have a cocaine withdrawal that I they have. say that they used gabapentin, though. If they can't get their hands on heroin is typically what I've heard yeah. is they're withdrawing from their coke and they can't get heroin yeah. to bring them down. They'll use some gabapentin because they can find it anywhere. Grandpa and grandma have it in their medicine cabinet. You know, one of the things that if you look at the CDC, of course, and other places, well, I think a lot of people are saying we should be prescribing more gabapentin for pain issues than the opioids. But even if you look at from 2002 to 2015, the prescriptions for gabapentin tripled. And we really weren't cutting back on the opioids until about 2015. That's when we really got going. 
So, right. so they kind of their their pattern, if you look at the graphs, kind of follow each other. Yeah. So, I think one last thing about the off-label using usage of this. Well, it would be, you I mean Pfizer, who's obviously in the news right now for a lot of good things, but they got fined billions of dollars not that long ago for marketing for off-label use. Yeah, it was pretty cool because they would fly people all over the country to Florida and Hawaii, and then they'd have talks about how to use it off-label. Uh, that was during a time I was practicing, but I didn't get to go on. Well, I did not go. I didn't want to go on. I did not want to go on one of those trips, and I did not. But uh, good job, Kurt. Holy cow! That I just—I I felt like I was sinking there. You were. It's um, okay though. But so, so well, let's wrap this up. How are we going to wrap up. this up by edit, editorializing? Editorializing. So you know, this is this is one of those things, and I think Kentucky was the first one in our country to really kind of get on board with this in 2017. They actually made it a Schedule Five drug. In the UK, it's schedule a Schedule Three drug, which I don't know how that compares to the U.S. scheduling. But then, why'd you bring it up? Just to show that around the world, people recognize gabapentin as a drug that can have abuse and use potential. And so that's, I think, where this is heading. Yeah, and I think we have to be very careful um, that we just don't go right to gabapentin. And that we, we probably have to watch this group of patients taking gabapentin. Uh, and I'm not talking about the 90-year-old people with diabetic neuropathy, but I see a lot of 20s and 30s and 40-year-old people uh, requesting gabapentin. And I think we have to really look at that, think about it. This may be a, a medication that we also want to do that once or twice a year, year in drug screen and, uh, and really uh, understand that this is misused frequently, frequently. So, yeah, I think that, and that's what you're going to probably hear of a, a big pattern in what we're going to say over the next however many more drugs we can come up with. Um, it's just... Something to think about, you know, every prescription, you know, is, is this really going to help? Because again, first do no harm. Yeah. And I, I, I can just tell people right now that amoxicillin is not on the list of drugs people are abusing. Well, unless you're talking about antibiotic stewardship and then it actually <laughs> is being abused and we're having resistant bugs, but that's but my sister-in-law, the pediatrician. Nobody's talk. injecting it or snorting it. <laughs> that's correct. So. All right. Anyway, let battle legs save us at this point. All right, we will uh, speak at you next week. Thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm.